Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Here you go. Here you go. Scorched Earth. Nothing personal word of the day. It's Tuesday, April 11th. 2023 scorched earth is what Evan Gaddis did yesterday on social media. And it is worth talking about because ever since the Houston Astros basically were found guilty of the sign stealing scandal, use of the garbage cans, no use of buzzers, Altuve didn't do it. Players admitting I was a part of it. Carlos Beltran losing his job. Alex Cora losing his job, getting it back. AJ Hinch losing his job, getting a different one back. Jeff Luna losing his job, never getting it back. Books written, Winning Fixes Everything by Evan Drellick, who we've talked to, and you should read that book. There is nobody who doesn't know that the Astros did that which they were accused of, if not found guilty of. People were upset that players were not punished. And Rob Manfred has said time and time again, the reason players were not punished is but for not punishing them, they would not have told us what happened and it was more important to know what happens. That's called immunity. The only problem is when you do immunity in the real world, you give it to someone on a lower level in order to take down someone on a higher level. So MLB viewed Lunau as the highest level. So everyone testifies against him. He lies about his involvement. And then he's out of the game and we're good. We get to move on. But there's still a part of this issue that has not gone away all these years later. And you've got Yankee fans who believe that they were cheated out of winning the American League Championship Series. You've got Dodger fans who feel they were cheated. You've got teams who didn't even play the Astros who say, we got cheated during the regular season. Then, of course, you have players who say my career got ended because I gave it up and I normally wouldn't have given it up because I'm so good, but they knew what was coming. So therefore, I got beat up and then I got sent to the minor leagues. All sorts of different tentacles. One of the things that MLB tries to do, like every other league, like every other company, if they're smart, you take a story you find out the best way to release details of the story, and then you tourniquet the story. Tourniqueting a story, if I can use that, is when you wrap something around the story so hard that it bleeds out and then it dies. It is very tough to convince an owner or a bunch of owners to tourniquet a story because when it's a story that is negative about them, they don't want it to be gone. They want to fix it. They want to give a statement and then another statement and then a comment in a way that they can somehow bring their PR back into the positive. The players union in baseball was very clear what it wanted. Very upset that there were players saying, you ruined it. Talking about Astros players. I don't want to play with you. I don't want this guy in my team. I don't want that guy in my team. I refuse to 
acknowledge what the Astros did. Don't forget Aaron Judge had a few things to say about the scandal after it was done. And there was a group of people who said, I guess he's never going to play for the Astros. So this type of back and forth exists within the union and the union leadership tries to quash it, tourniquet that, because they don't want owners ever thinking that players are eating themselves or fighting amongst themselves because they view that as a weakness. So owners try to go after that weakness and have that impact collective bargaining negotiations. And in the past it has, which is also why Commissioner Rob Manford is so careful to keep owners from fighting amongst themselves because then conversely, the union would think that the owners are weak and then the union would feel that they've got an opportunity to do and make progress in collective bargaining that otherwise they would not be able to make. The question is, what happens when a retired player comes out and starts lobbing truth bombs every which way? Now, any sort of detective or any sort of good investigator, like someone out of the Samson and Coca regime, would have known that Evan Gaddis was actually a great, great possibility of someone who'd be willing to say things that we all wish would not be said. Back in 2020, he had a very good quote for fans, not for the league. Everybody wants to be the best player in the effing world, man. And we cheated that for sure. We obviously cheated baseball and cheated fans. Fans felt duped. I feel bad for fans. I'm not asking for sympathy or anything like that. If our punishment is being hated by everybody forever, whatever. I don't know what should be done, but something had to be effing done. I do agree with that big time. I do think it's good for baseball that we're cleaning up. So Evan Gaddis clearly was saying he knew what was going on, was aware that it may or may not have been helpful. At this point, we do not know. He's okay with the punishment, which really was no punishment for players other than thinking that their 2017 ring is tainted, other than being booed mercilessly across ballparks and across the industry. But that's it for a while. But then yesterday, he got into a Twitter back and forth where he violated a major rule. The major rule is when you are involved in a scandal and there is potential integrity issues involved in this scandal, do not bring light to what those integrity issues were. It's always better saying you've heard players say it. You heard the league say it. We don't really know what would have happened differently. We don't, we can't say that we won the series because we knew the pitches. We didn't score seven runs an inning or 10 runs an inning. There's no way to prove that our behavior directly led to blank. And that is something that's taught to players and to owners to make sure that all fans and all media hear it as clearly as possible. While we may have done X wrong, everybody keep calm. There's nothing to see here because Y was not impacted. So Evan Gaddis says yesterday when he was facing CC Sabathia in game seven, he said he knew what pitch was coming. When he was asked about whether or not he was cheating, he said that every time he played in the field, he was on performance enhancing drugs. He said that the number of bangs on the trash can were dependent on the pitch. And he said, when asked about the pitch that he hit for a homer in game seven, 
Was there a bang on the trash can? He said, yes, it was a back door cutter slider. Uh-oh. So MLB is going to do the following and the union is going to do the following as of today. Get ready. Nothing. Operation Tourniquet is in effect. The league is not going to respond to what Evan Gaddis said. The union is not going to respond to what Evan Gaddis said. Friends of Evan Gaddis of Evan Gaddis are texting him as we record saying, dude, stop doing that. You are going to make it so there is no chance that you will ever get a job in baseball. And believe me, the players union and the league are aligned in that Evan Gaddis will never work on a major league coaching staff ever. Do you think that every publication, they're going to release it? There'll be articles written about what happened with Evan Gaddis on Twitter. There'll be quotes coming in, people confirming that it's him. No, none of that's going to happen. This is going to disappear like a Copperfield show in Vegas. And the reason, say it with me, go back to it, the tourniquet. If you start having retired players, because we're now six years past 17, we're now three years past the unveiling of this. As more and more players get retired, if more and more players have their GAS meter get lower and lower, that's given SHIT, if that meter gets lower and lower and more and more of them start talking more and more, what happens is the issue bubbles up to the forefront again. And when an issue bubbles up to the forefront, it's like starting a fire with paper and kindling. If you don't add any wood to it, for you Survivor fans, it'll go away, the flame won't build, and you won't be able to burn down the string to get the flag up. So the Kindle gets it going, that's exciting, but you need people to feed it. And MLB and the union will not add logs to this fire. They will not do anything but wait for it to go away and wait for the next player to do it. Why he would go scorched earth, I can't speculate. Does he want to have his moment of truth is it part of a healing process? Whatever the case may be, and it could be both of those, none of those, or any of those, there is a fear. And this is why cheating is a bad plan. When you cheat in sports or in anything, in business, in life, you live with the possibility of discovery. And then the lie to cover up the act becomes an even greater crime. And then the lie to cover up the lie that covers up the act. And all of a sudden you're six feet under. You have buried yourself. You can't remember what you said, what you did. And you get in even more trouble after the fact. So it seems like a very simple, simple fix. Keep the yapper closed. What's the incentive for players to keep it closed who don't want to be in the game? Zero. What's the incentive for people to keep their yappers closed who want to keep a foot in the door? It's 100% foolproof. And the way to keep it so binary is that MLB has to make sure through its owners that no one gives Evan Gaddis any chance to do anything. There are no second chances. 
no possibilities to work in the game again, because if you do it, then what you're really doing is saying, hey, say whatever you want. We'll be pissed, but we'll get over it. Not when it comes to this sign stealing scandal, not when it comes to performance enhancing drugs. No one likes anyone talking about in the past. It's not like you see McGuire and Bond standing up and saying, hey, let's keep talking about it. They don't. Roger Clemens still won't talk about it. The people who admitted it, Andy Pettit, Giambi, et cetera, they said it, admitted it, did it, and then stopped talking about it. A-Rod, his reclamation project, did it, lied. Now I'm telling you the truth. No more talking about it. The tourniquet plan is a phenomenal plan. It cannot necessarily cure or counteract the scorched earth plan but it can do pretty damn well. 4869. It can come pretty damn close. <laughs> We're live on nothing personal every day at 8 a.m. One of these times I'm going to do a show where there's not one correction, where I can tell you that Rudy Gobert is the star of the Minnesota Timberwolves and forget that I blanked about Anthony Edwards. One time I won't have to count myself back in, do a wipe or do whatever it is that doesn't even get edited out because we don't edit 45 minutes every day, live 8 a.m. straight to you from this incredible studio at Metal Arc that is not yet open, but it will be soon. You'll know the background's different. You'll see it. Yeah, we're going back in studio. We're gonna go back in studio. All right, Rudy Gobert. Here's how the play in tournament works. When you finish the season, the traveling secretary gets word from the league of where the game is, what time the game is. Then the traveling secretary calls the charter flight, meets with the GM, the president. They make an itinerary for the trip. When the plane is going to leave, then the, he makes hotel reservations. Are they going to stay the night in LA, the night before and the night after, just the night before and then fly back? They're going to fly back because if they win, they're playing hosting a game as part of the playing tournament against the winner of the 9-10 game. Or... They're flying home anyway because the season's, uh, um, sorry, the season's not, if they win, then they, they're they in the playoffs, and then their game one is, what is it, Coca? Would it be in Memphis, the winner of the uh, Lakers game? I believe the winner of the Lakers-T-Wolves game will go and play in Memphis. So there's an itinerary put together. Then you have a group chat with your players and with your staff. You send out the information that's how practice times are given. That's how flight times are given and bus times are given. You get a printed itinerary, but also there's a group chat. So everyone has the information. So nobody's late. So everyone's getting texted like they're all together in a restaurant. And then it's beep, beep, or wah, wah, whatever your text noise is. And Rudy Gobert's phone is just quiet. Like, hey, what, what do you, what, what's going on? What do you guys got? And they look and they say, oh, it's the plan for tomorrow. And Rudy said, well, I didn't get the text. I'm speculating here for purposes of humor. And he says, I didn't get that. I didn't get anything. What do I do? So he calls up his A-Rod. I doubt he called A-Rod, but that'd be funny. And said, just out of curiosity, is there anything going on? They call Rudy into the office and they say, Rudy, we appreciate everything you've done for this team, but we're suspending you for a game. Holly freaking Luya. I was going to have it as a wait to see yesterday, but I didn't have the cojones that the Minnesota Timberwolves were going to suspend Rudy Gobert for a game. Instead, my thought process was they should suspend him for a game, but because it's the playing game and because you want to make the playoffs, that they're going to come out with all sorts of statements from players that everything's better now. We've taken care of it internally. 
And I didn't agree with that, but I understood it. Now, why I didn't agree with it is because I'm not the president of the Timberwolves. Were I to be the president of the Timberwolves, I would close my eyes to the future ramifications of letting him play, and I would let him play because I want to beat LeBron James so badly. The Timberwolves took the different approach, and they said, because we have two games to win one, let's give up the first game on the road, play the second game at home as an elimination game against the the winner of the 9-10 game, and then we can still be the eighth seed. Yes, we'll have to play Denver, but at least we'd have Rudy to go up against Jokic, and we'll give ourselves a chance. Maybe the Nuggets are soft. Maybe Michael Malone is right and the Nuggets have a problem. Maybe everyone's saying Jokic is not the three-time MVP and that he can't get it done in the playoffs. Maybe all that's right. And this way, we get to say that we did the right discipline. But is it, though, the one-game discipline for what Rudy Gobert did? If this were a February game in the middle of the regular season, is he still only getting one game for conduct detrimental to the team, or does he get a leave of absence to get himself together? Is this sort of the way that you can believe and get your fans to believe that you care about the makeup of the team, get your players to think you care about the makeup of the team, but you're really only caring about the performance of the team, which is not the end of the world. It's an admirable goal to only care about the performance of the team. Is it possible Rigo Bear is the most hated player in the T-Wolves? I'm not in the clubhouse. Don't know. Not going to speculate. Is it possible the players wanted him suspended for more games or that they think they're a better team without him? Don't know. Not going to speculate. However, it is very telling how the Timberwolves decided to handle it. Very telling. Now, you didn't see very many releases. You didn't see very many conversations. But what you are seeing behind the scenes, which is going to be important, is that when they meet the media, when the coach meets the media, when Rudy meets the media for his first game back, when Edward meets the media, you are actually going to have to answer this. And the team itself should be meeting with its front-facing people and say, we understand what the front office did. That's what you want the players to say. The worst thing that could happen is for Rudy Gobert to be suspended for a game and then the players meet the media and the players say, this is a bunch of horse hockey. He should have been gone for a week or we hope he never comes back and plays again. There are rumors right now, and I don't know whether they're true, but there are rumors that the player he punched, whose name was Kyle Anderson, that he was upset, right? He was very upset. Was he upset about the suspension? Was he upset about being punched? Was he upset about the way the team is handling it? Well, someone has a recording of what Kyle Anderson did going off in the tunnel. And that means the T-Wolves have a small little issue they have to take care of. I was good at taking care of these leak issues. I always would try to find leaks because every team has leaks. There's employees who get access to things they shouldn't have access to. There's players who release things they shouldn't release. There's front office people who know what you're doing, who are telling other people because it's in their best interest to give information to other people because they think it makes them look better or will get them well-written about. These are well-established reasons for leaking. I always like the strategic leak. A strategic leak would not be a player being upset about a thing that happened on a bench. You are trying to put a tourniquet around 
any sort of problem in-house, keeping it in-house. It's why we want all fights in the clubhouse before the media comes. We want nothing to be made public. We want no one around. And we put an absolute silence mode on the players. As president of the Timberwolves, I am going to be behind the scenes trying to find out who leaked this audio recording of Kyle Anderson. I'm going to be meeting with Kyle Anderson. I'm going to be meeting with Rudy Gobert because I am now a bit screwed. And the reason I'm a bit is that we've got two to win one, but if we go 0-2, then all of a sudden it's another year wasted and it makes me look worse. So the T-Wolves will go into LA without Rudy Gobert. They will go in without Jaden McDaniels. They will go into a, against a team with LeBron Davis, without Russell Westbrook, with Anthony Davis. Did I say LeBron Davis? I meant LeBron James, obviously. And a team that has been playing better of late with the second best player in the history of the NBA, playing 30 plus minutes, scoring 30 plus points. The reality is that the Minnesota Timberwolves have zero chance of beating the Los Angeles Lakers tonight. Zero. So for nothing personal pick of the day where we got a win last night, that was a good one. We had the Guardians over the Yankees. Don't be scared. The Yankees are going to lose games. Shane Bieber is a better pitcher than Domingo Herman. Were you nervous when he gave up two runs in the first? I was not. Am I nervous that every time Stanton and Judge are up that they can go deep? Yes, I am. But they're not going to. You get nervous about something, but the reality is the numbers are the numbers. Guardians beat the Yankees. We're 50 and 51. In baseball, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to bet on the Astros. The Astros are playing the Pirates. The Pirates have played well. Brian Reynolds, the guy who wants to trade, the guy who wants to get paid more money and the Pirates aren't paying him because they remember when they paid Jason Kendall upon moving into PNC Park, it was an unmitigated disaster. And they want to be careful about overpaying because at their payroll, if you overpay, you're done. So they don't want to overpay Brian Reynolds, but Brian Reynolds is playing as though he deserves every penny that he's asking for and more but he's got to do it for a multiple number of years to get the huge free agent deal. Teams that are starting off well right now, do not be fooled. Teams that are starting off poorly right now, do not be fooled. Is it possible Jeremy Penny of the Astros will have a sophomore slump? Yeah. Is it possible Bregman will hit 100 this year? No. Astros minus 180 over the Pirates. It's rich, but I'm taking it because of my second bet of the day. We're going to lay the 180 on the Astros over the Pirates. Let's talk about the play-in tournament starting at 7.30 with your Miami Heat. The most flawed playoff team who everyone thinks can make a run into the finals, who people who watch the team every day say, ooh, they're likely a first-round loser. Jimmy Butler playing the best basketball of his career. Pat Riley wondering, will Duncan Robinson ever make another jump shot? People seen, can Tyler Hero hang on, and will UD be a good cheerleader? The Heat are going to win today. They're playing the Atlanta Hawks, a franchise who is a disaster. They had the coaching change, if you remember. You know what, Coca? I have a crazy extra wait to see that I just realized it's going to happen. The Hawks are going to lose tonight. And the Hawks are going to realize that the power that Trey Young had to get Nate McMillan fired, they can't keep Trey Young having that power. And they're going to have to move on from Trey Young. I'm going to do a crazy official wait to see where I say something's going to happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. I'll revisit it. You know I will. Here it is. The Atlanta Hawks, upon losing to the Heat today, 
before they start next season will have traded Trey Young. Book it, Coca. That's official. It may be a win like my July 30th of 2021 wait to see. That's almost two years ago when Russell Westbrook joined the Lakers. I had a wait to see that is now true. And I forgot to tell you once he got let go by the Lakers and moved to the Clippers. On July 30th of 21, I said the Lakers will not win a title with Russell Westbrook. It's an easy one. It's a give me. Let me have the give me. I did. He's on the team anymore, but they didn't win a title with Russell Westbrook. By the way, neither will the clip joint. All right, so the second bet today is we're taking the Heat and the Lakers. The Timberwolves have no shot. The Hawks have no shot. Talk about franchises in total disarray. Playing better home teams, done. No road upsets. Heat, Lakers, we're going to do a money line parlay, which means we only have to lay 105. Hell yeah. Lay the 105 on Heat, Lakers, both winning tonight. No point spread. And the Astros over the Pirates. Okay, what else happened in the world today? You know, I didn't talk about this yesterday, Coca. So wait to sees are officially done on nothing personal. But every once in a while when something happens, not during the 45 minutes of the show, I'll put something on Twitter at David P. Sampson, and I will say that I believe something's going to happen. And I've got enough ego and enough, I'm secure enough, no insecurities here. Although I'm feeling some sort of blemish coming out on my chin. Anyone see that? No insecurities whatsoever. Also, I got some crazy eyebrows going on right now. Get them clipped. Took care of the ear hair, maybe even the nose hair. You know, relax, Coke. I'm just kidding. Not about any of it. So sometimes on Twitter, I will say something pretty significant because I'm going to take a position and I'm okay revisiting it. When OBJ came out and said, I am going to get $15 million on a one-year deal, I said, no chance toilet pants. There is no way. It was not an official wait to see, but my view is that his offers would be in the five to $7 million range with escalators to the 12 or $13 million range. But what team is going to be desperate and stupid enough to give him a $15 million deal? Now, Coke is going to say, that's not an overpay. I get it. It may not be. Yesterday or the day before the Baltimore Ravens signed OBJ to a one-year, shockingly $15 million deal. And with incentives, he can get up to the first number he wanted, which was between 17 or 18. If he, I don't know what the incentives are, Coco, do you? Like he plays well, he catches the ball, he doesn't do any problems, have any problems off the field. Model teammate, plays all 17 games, 400-yard games and 16 touchdown passes. Or does he just have to show up? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if your reputation is that you get a bonus for showing up? And I don't mean the kind of salary cap ridiculous bonuses where if you go to the off-season workout, you get $9.6 million. That's just salary cap rigmarole. I'm talking about players who tend to have issues where you say, hey, just please. Can you imagine someone paying you to go to work? Hey, do me a favor. Would you mind coming to work? And instead of paying you the salary that I usually pay you, I'm going to give you a bonus. You don't have to be good, but just show up. That'd be swell, wouldn't it? Give me a break. But guess what? I was wrong. OBJ signed with the Ravens, one for 15. You think OBJ signed and then called Lamar and said, hey, are you going to sign the tag? 
hey, should I sign the 15? If you don't sign the tag and you have an offer sheet and they don't match it, then who's going to be my quarterback? What are we going to do? No. OBJ would have taken $15 million from the Jaguars. He would have taken it from the Lions. I'm trying to think of who had the worst record in the league last year. Who had the worst record in the league last year, Coca? I have no idea. All I know is that OBJ and Lamar Jackson are thick as thieves right now, thinking about how their future is going to go in Baltimore, which will be good for my other wait to seize, which is that Lamar Jackson is taking the tag and will sign a long-term deal with the Ravens. Anyway, welcome back, OBJ. I got that one wrong. I admit it. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a documentary on Hulu about Brooke Shields called Pretty Baby. And then we're going to talk about Daniel Snyder and the Washington Commanders. We have not spoken about him. What has it been, like four days? Three, four days? Danny boy, you're back, you content fountain, you. We'll be right back. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. That's not even enough time to use the restroom. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends about our show. Let's keep going. Every day at 8 a.m., we're live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please subscribe. So I watched Pretty Baby, the Brooke Shields documentary. And you know I've made no secret of my age. I was born in 1968. February 26th, 1968 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hospital called St. Joseph's Hospital. Come out of my mother, live my life, grow up in the 80s. I was from 12 to 21 in the 80s. I mean, that makes me an 80s person through and through. Nothing was going to come between me and my Calvins. Nothing was going to stop me from understanding that the song Moving Stereo by the Cars will forever be associated with Phoebe Cates and the pool scene in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Nothing is going to stop me from remembering that New Coke was a failure. Nothing is going to stop me from knowing how to do the safety dance because you can dance if you want to. Nothing is going to teach me more than Frankie going to Hollywood what is important and what's not in terms of relaxing. This is what happens when you grow up in the 80s. My love, there's only you in my life. Endless love. Yeah, that one. Blue Lagoon with Brooke Shields. Life-changing. Here's what I didn't realize at the time. She was 15. Here's what I didn't realize at the time. She had a manager who was her mother, who was very interested in her becoming a star, except she was a total alcoholic. Here's what I didn't know at the time that she was being treated 
as a piece of sexual meat by adults. Didn't think of it. Didn't need to think of it. Would have liked to have thought about it had I known. May have changed the way I would have acted. May have changed the way I would have thought. Now that I've watched the documentary, Pretty Baby, it's a two-part documentary, about two hours and 23 minutes. I'd forgotten about the first role she played in Pretty Baby with Keith Carradine and Susan Sarandon. So many things I learned. I forgot about her relationship with Steffi Graf's husband before he was Steffi Graf's husband. So many things will come flooding back. If you were not an 80s baby, watch Pretty Baby because you're going to learn about Brooke Shields and you're going to learn about a time when there was a lot of stuff going on. If you are an 80s baby, watch the documentary Pretty Baby about Brooke Shields because you are going to be brought back into a time and you're going to have some sort of guilt about the pleasure that you had during those years as a child, recognizing the level of inappropriateness, the porky style level of inappropriateness. It's called Pretty Baby. It's on Hulu. Pretty Baby Brooke Shields. Two hours and 23 minutes, two parts. Watch it. You will not be sorry. I wonder whether Dan Snyder is sorry about everything that he does. I've been thinking about that a lot, Coke, actually. Tanya and Dan Snyder. Once they sell, once Josh Harris's group raises their bid above six, once Bezos raises his bid and Snyder agrees to sell it to him, once the Snyders get the money that they get, I wonder whether they'll sit down at dinner, go on a vacation on the yacht. And I wonder whether they'll look at each other and say, man, we really did a few things wrong. I wonder if that level of self-awareness exists. And I'm going to speculate, given the number of owners I know, no. They're going to sell. They're going to cash in. They're never going to look back. And they have zero care in the world about what they did to the fans, what they did to the players. None. What they did to their partners. Zero. So the team is for sale. And when a team is for sale, there are certain outstanding issues that have to be put in a purchase and sale agreement. They can be part of the pending litigation section. They can be part of the representations and warranties section. They can be part of the indemnification section. All of that is meant to codify what each party is responsible for upon the dissolution of a current issue. If there's a lawsuit about somebody who slipped and fell outside of FedEx field, if there's a settlement or a jury jury verdict that gives that person $10,000, who pays the 10 grand, the new owner or the old owner? It happened when the old owner owned it, but that doesn't mean that the old owner pays the 10 grand. Every one of those things gets negotiated. And what you're doing when you sell a team is you try to eliminate as much of the outstanding issues as possible so that it makes the future arguing between you and your new part and new owner of the team as little and minimal as possible. When a team is sold, there is a bunch of money that, get, that gets put into an escrow account. An escrow account is funded by the buyer of the team, but the seller doesn't have access to that money until a period of time passes, let's say a year. And the escrow agent who is appointed by both sides is in charge of putting that money out, distributing that money to those who have rightful ownership of that money. So if there's a lawsuit that gets settled, they may agree that that settlement would be paid from the escrow account. 
if there's a future lawsuit that comes in a certain category that was talked about in the purchase and sale agreement, if there's any liability, it comes out of the escrow account. Then there is a time when the escrow money gets released and it gets given to the seller of the team. So the buyer has already given the money that he was supposed to give. So you don't have to go chasing the buyer for extra money. It's the seller who doesn't get all the proceeds until the escrow is cleared. One of the things, and there's so many going on with the commanders, one of them was this lawsuit. And it was not really a lawsuit. It was the investigation brought by the uh, attorney general. And I don't know if you remember this, but it was over when you do, and we did this a lot, Kokosh. When we were within five games of the wild card on September 1st, we would send out playoff invoices and we would demand for you to give us your money. And then we would make it super hard to get your money back, but we had to make it easy enough so we would not run afoul of the law, but we had to jump through hoops. The easier thing to do is apply that money to next year's season ticket holders. Why? Because that means our renewal rate will go up because people have playoff tickets. We're not in the playoffs and they say, screw it. I'm not going to go through the 20 hoops to get my five grand back. Just apply that to next year's season tickets and boom, you've got yourself a season ticket holder. Standard operating procedure. These days, attorney generals have made it very clear that you have to make getting a refund to your fans way, way easier. Like point and click, like Venmo style. And that's a bummer because getting the money up front from fans is what we used for cash flow. Instead of taking out short-term loans, like bridge loans, you use other your customers' money because you are getting revenue from them and you're not providing anything to them until the future. So you get the float of that money. So the attorney general said to the commanders, uh, that's not good what you did. And here's what the attorney general got. This is pretty good. The Washington commanders and Daniel Snyder have to return $200,000 to the impacted residents and pay $425,000 to the district to resolve allegations that the team systematically failed to return ticket holders deposits and intentionally created barriers for fans to get refunds in violation of district law. Add it up. That's $425,000 and $625,000. Now, let me do some quick math. Let's just pretend that playoff tickets are $100 each. Hmm. Do you think they're $100 each? I'm just asking. Do you? Do you? What's 625,000 divided by 100? Take two zeros off, right? So instead of four zeros, instead of five zeros, it's three zeros. Are you with me? So it's 62,530. 62,530? No, 62,520. Coca, stop the show. I'm having a freak out. What am I doing wrong here? This is happening live and I'm totally fine with it. I'm totally fine, but this is an important point. Could you do this for me right now? If you are doing $625,000 and you're dividing that by a hundred, that is a total of 6,250 tickets. Thank you. You can cut that from the audio show if you don't mind, because that's just an absolute brain like cloud, like Joe versus the volcano type of thing. Okay, let's pretend an average ticket price of 100. So that's 6,200 tickets. How many season ticket holders are there in Washington for playoff games? Do you think there's 6,200 tickets? 
Do you think that a team writing a check for $625,000 is any sort of major penalty for a team? It's a joke. Daniel Snyder just got away with financial brilliance. He ran afoul of the law and the best the AG could come up with was 625 grand. That is not exactly going to be a deterrent going forward. I can't even continue with the show. I'm so annoyed that I did not do 625,000 divided by 100 equal 6250. That is just, I do math in my head all the time. That means there's something going on. Hold on. Hi, my name is David Sampson. All right, I'm clear. Stroke test, fine. God, rang it. Okay, that's it for the commanders. What a joke settlement that was. That really was. All right, next. What do you do when you've got a, uh, a player and he's your star player and you're on a team that stinks and that player is going to be a free agent at some point? You promise that player you're going to do better. You're going to build a team around him. You're going to win. Or you recognize that the player is going to leave and you let him go or you figure out how to trade him. We don't talk a lot about the Charlotte Hornets, other than Michael Jordan realizing that owning a team is way harder than being the best basketball player of all time. And that putting together a winning team is way harder when you're not on it in your prime. Michael Jordan, there are rumors that he is selling the team to his minority partner, selling a majority stake, realizing that the years and years of losing, what is, what's it worth? They've been bad for so long that they're irrelevant nationally, internationally. So they've got a player on them named LaMelo Ball. LaMelo Ball is part of the Ball family, pretty famous from a couple of years ago with the father who had all the sons that are all going to be good. LaMelo Ball is going to be a restricted free agent in 24-25. So after next year, he's been out and hurt. And so the question is, are we going to try to keep him? And for whatever reason, the season ended and coach Steve Clifford yesterday said, now would be a good time to talk about LaMelo Ball. And what he said should give you some indication about where the Hornets are with LaMelo and where LaMelo is with the Hornets. He said, coach Clifford did. Remember, this is the coach who was not the coach and then became the coach again when the old coach, Kenny Atkinson, was fired. He said, I'll take over again. And Jordan said, great. Clifford said, great. And then they had injuries and then they stunk. And now they're wondering whether Clifford's going to be the coach, but he wants to be the coach, but he may not be the coach. If Jordan sells, the new owner's going to say, I don't think you should be the coach, but he's an existing minority partner who Clifford may have a relationship with, in which case he would be the coach for at least a period of time until he loses. And then the new owner would say, we're going to need a new coach. So Steve Clifford said it is critical for the team to start winning if we intend to keep our star point guard. Boy, that is some good workshopping. I mean, that is just outstanding PR, isn't it? We better win. Come on now, we can do it. We got the pieces in place. We're going to show LaMelo that we care about winning. We've got this. Remember, he was drafted third in 2020, this guy, LaMelo Ball. Never played in a playoff game yet. Not once, obviously, because they have such a huge sort of break since they were last in the playoffs. Charlotte currently has the longest streak of not going to the playoffs in the entire NBA. So Clifford said, I love LaMelo Bell. 
He wants to win badly. And when you're at his level, there are certain expectations. You're going to be compared to the other point guards his age that have had incredible playoff successes, only a little. It is critical for his career to have some level of playoff success. My guess is he was speaking about Damian Lillard, who's angry in Portland, or he was speaking about Bradley Bill, who's angry in Washington. These players who sign these huge deals and then get annoyed when the teams they've signed them with, when they were bad before and they're bad still, or they have a flash or a moment of good, and then they revert to being bad. This happens all the time. So when you are saying that LaMelo Ball wants to be around a winner, LaMelo Ball stands up and says, I want to be around a winner, and I don't know if I can win here. And he said, my coach is right. The main thing is winning. Life is better when you win. Is that true? I wonder why Damian Lillard signed the max deal that he signed with Portland. Thoughts? How about Bradley Beal's deal? How about the fact that the NBA makes the rules so that re-signing your own players, it's an advantage to the team because they don't want teams to be unable to re-sign their own players. Therefore, they're allowed, even under the new CBA, to sign their own players to larger deals than any competing team in free agency. Why is that? Because nine times out of 10, players choose money. And therefore, teams get to keep their players the same players who, by the way, they haven't been successful with. It's one of those rules that's meant to help the bad teams, and it hurts them because you feel like you want to give a max deal to a player who's your best player, even though you're not winning. You give the deal. The player says he's going to be fine because he wants the guaranteed money because it's all guaranteed. And then as soon as it's guaranteed, he says, wait a minute, I'm not happy anymore because we're not winning. When Adam Silver and the owners got together, when David Stern and the owners got together, the previous commissioner made these rules, did it not occur to them that what you are doing is helping players make what becomes the easiest decision of their career? Take the extra year, take the extra $50 million, and then demand a trade, use player empowerment, get yourself out of there into a good situation when you still have your max deal that you couldn't have gotten with that team that you're traded to in the first place. It's happening everywhere. What is it like, a shock? You think for one second that someone like LaMelo Ball is not going to sign a max deal with the Hornets? Of course he is. I mean, we could talk about Luca for crying out loud, our guy Luca. What exactly has he done with the Mavericks? I mean, they made it to the conference finals, that's true. Of course he signed the max deal. Zion Williamson. Pressure, we got to sign him to the max deal. LaMelo Ball is going to sign a max deal with the Charlotte Hornets. I'm going to make that an official wait to see, as a matter of fact. That's my second wait to see of the day, Coke. I know you don't like putting that in the document because it requires a dash, but the second wait to see is LaMelo Ball will sign a contract extension with the Charlotte Hornets because he may say he likes winning, but really... It's just business. Good luck, Steve and Mikey. It's nothing personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.